Welcome to another episode of Latino Book Review Presents. Remember to visit latinobookreview.com and follow us on your favorite social media platforms. Our guest today is a Puerto Rican author who has lived in the Bronx for most of her life. Before becoming a recognized writer, she spent decades working as a teacher and as a librarian in the New York City public school system. She has received multiple awards and she is recognized for telling the stories from the perspective of Afro-Latinas in Puerto Rico. Latino Book Review presents Dalma Llanos Figueroa. Dalma Llanos Figueroa, thank you so much for being with us here on Latino Book Review Presents. Absolutely. I've been looking forward to this. Thank you. So I wanted to talk to you because you have had a, an impactful career. And more recently, you wrote a book called A Woman of Endurance, which also has a Spanish version called Indomita. Mm -hmm. But before we go and talk about this book and your writings, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who is Dalma Llanos Figueroa? Okay, well, I was born in Puerto Rico, in Carolina, Puerto Rico. And at two years old, my family moved to New York City. First, we lived in El Barrio in Spanish Harlem, and then we moved to the Bronx. And most of my life, I've lived in the Bronx. I went to school in the Bronx. I went away to school to Buffalo and then came back to the Bronx. I taught for 30 years and I was a high school librarian. And when I retired, I decided to go back to my writing passion. And it seems like my classroom has just gotten much bigger because so many people don't know about 19th century Puerto Rican society that I find that there, many of my readers are introduced to plantation society in the 1800s in Puerto Rico, and they are introduced to it through my writing. And A Woman of Endurance is my second book. Yes. And I'm already working on my third, but it will be a series, not sequential, but joined or the characters overlap. Yes. So each of the books stands alone. But they definitely are arriving to me and to my readers in a sequential form, starting with the mid-1840s in West Africa. And now A Woman of Endurance goes from probably mid the later 1800s to it's a 30-year a stretch to near the end of the uh, 19th century. Yes. And let me ask you about this. Why did you decide to write about the slave trade in Puerto Rico? As you said, a lot of people, they are not aware of these practices in the plantations in Puerto Rico. Why did you decide to talk about this? Well, I really wanted to give face and voice to the Afro-Puerto Rican community, both on the island and in New York City. As a child, I loved stories, whether on television or in books, and I never found anybody who looked or acted or sounded like me or any of the people that I know. So I really felt that there was a, a vacuum in American letters since Puerto Ricans have been here. So there was an, an absence of it in American literature. And even when I looked in Puerto Rican literature, there was very little written from the point of view of um, Afro-Puerto Ricans. And I felt that that needed to be included, that in order to have a more complete picture, you had to include the voices of Black Puerto Ricans who have contributed to both Puerto Rican and American culture. 
That's a very interesting topic and approach because many times we think of black culture and a lot of people, they don't think of Afro-Latinos and Afro-Latinas as being part of black culture, right? Absolutely. Isn't that strange? Well, I think that part of the strategy of the conquerors was to divide and separate. They were bringing all these people, all these captives from Africa, and they didn't want our communities to get together and have any kind of communication. And so it, it was to their advantage to make sure that they made divisions within those communities. And I think that it has worked for 300 years. And so I think that now we really have to stretch our arms to create bridges and look at the similarities in not only the experience, but the root cultures that we come from. Yes, I think that's a very good point. And now let's go back a little bit to your trajectory. You said that you have lived most of your life in the Bronx, right? Mm -hmm. And you were teaching for three decades or so. Yes. <laughs> so that's a significant amount of time for somebody to gain some experience. Do you add some of those experiences to your writings or is it related in any way, your previous experience or you separate your career as a writer? That's a good question. My first novel, Daughters of the Stone, covered five generations of an Afro-Latino family from the mid-1800s in West Africa to colonial Puerto Rico to New York City. And in that case, I used the experiences in New York City uh, and included it in my narrative. But thereafter, the books that follow will take one generation at a time. So I haven't gotten to New York City yet. So probably with my last book in the series, it will be more about that experience in New York City. Thank you for that, Dalma. And in relation to your family, who influenced your life the most? Can you name a person? <laughs> <laughs> I can name a group of people. My, my aunts and my mother and my grandmother were wonderful storytellers. When I was 10 years old, I was sent to Puerto Rico to stay with my grandparents until my parents saved enough money to buy a house in a better neighborhood. So to keep us safe, they sent us to Puerto Rico to live with my grandmother, Sofia. Yes. And uh, my grandmother, Sofia, had a big porch, un balcón enorme. And every day, the ladies from all over the, the barrio would come over after their caseres were done, after their housework was done, and they would sit around and tell stories. And when I got there, I was amazed because I was used to television in New York City. And now I was sitting in the doorway, listening to these old ladies tell stories that were to me fascinating. And I think I learned how to be a storyteller then. I learned how to withhold information <laughs> to create suspense and tension. I learned how to change the voice. So you know that different people were talking. I learned how to exclude what was not important in this particular story, although I might include it in another. So I think those those ladies who were, as far as the society was concerned, not educated and not sophisticated. And they were country women who lived on the land. And in the afternoon, as the sun came down, they turned into storytellers. That's a very interesting thing to hear, Dalma. Thank you so much for that. And in this context, at what age do you think you developed this notion that you are a writer? 
Oh, that happened much later. Um, because as I grew, when I came back to New York City, I started looking for the same exciting, familiar stories. And there was nothing. I, I found Ozzie and Harriet on television and everybody was white. And if there was a, a Puerto Rican in the story, it was usually a gangster or uh, an unwed mother. And it's really negative stereotypes. And when I got to college, I, I was an English major, an English and Spanish major. And I complained about the lack of representation, of authentic representation of Latinos in general and Puerto Ricans in particular. And someone said to me, why don't you stop complaining and write your own book? Because you're never going to be satisfied with anybody else's vision of what you want. Yes. And then later on, I fell in love with Toni Morrison's work. And Toni Morrison famously said, if there's a book that you want to read that hasn't been written, then you must write it. And I took her advice. That's very interesting, Dalma. And A Woman of Endurance is a story about survival, right? Absolutely. Paula, the main character, is an example of how Latinas have to endure so many things throughout their lives, not only back in the time of slavery, but also today, right? Did you deliberately trace any parallels between the time of slavery and how women lived back then and how women are living their lives today? Right. I did not set myself up to do that in particular. My goal was to write an authentic story of people like the people that I know and knew. And I think if you are a humanist and you're trying to write with authenticity, then automatically you have struggles and obstacles and difficulties in finding your way. And I think that although the face of the struggles that we have today is different, I think that we still are struggling to find equality, to find a legacy to leave our children to want to leave the world better when we leave it than when we entered it. So I think those are universal truths. And I think universal truths don't have a time period and they don't have a particular geographic location. Yes. I think as human beings, we have struggles. They may be different. I'm sure in many ways, my life is much easier than the life of my ancestors. But in other ways, we have the same struggle in, in terms of being taken seriously as women, as Latinas, as mothers, as workers. So I think that the struggles remain, they just have a different face. Yes, that's why I was asking, because I can see that in some parts of society, we still have these ideas uh, that are very pervasive, sadly, mm -hmm. that women are not and should not be in control of their own lives, right? Which is something that seems insane for these times. Mm -hmm. But Here we are. So who is Paula? Did you base this character on somebody specific? I didn't um, model her after a specific person. Although when I started writing, I thought I was going to write about a woman warrior, uh, a leader of the Cimarron movement. Yes. The escaped slaves and the rebelliousness and of the enslaved people and their attempts to to rest their freedom from their captors. And that is a story that's almost never told, and certainly not in terms of Latin America in the United States. But, you know, my, my characters really come from my subconscious and 
every day I meditate. And in my meditation, Paula showed up and said, that's not my story. Tell them my story. This is my story. And Paula was introduced in the first book and she was a very angry, combative woman. And in the second book, I had to figure out how do I make her compelling to the reader? You know, how are they, how am I going to get them to want to read 300 pages about this woman? And what I, what I came up with, and I firmly believe that my ancestors planted the seeds of this in my meditation is that the story of breeding slaves has been discussed in many places. It has never been discussed in Puerto Rico. Eso no quiere decir que no pasó, simplemente que no se habla. Claro. But there's no historical footprint of that in Puerto Rico, although there are some hints. But when I was doing research, I found some interesting facts that led me to wonder if that was the case. But here is a woman who, why would she be so angry? Well, she's angry because she is serially raped and because her children are taken away immediately and sold. And so... I think that just about any woman can understand becoming so angry and combative if you have been beaten and abused. And the one thing that you can create, which is children, your children are taken away from you. So basically, they treated her as an animal and she reacted that way. But A Woman of Endurance, this novel, is about her journey to reclaim her humanity. Yes. And how do you do that? That's the key point, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have the Spanish version of A Woman of Endurance, mm -hmm. Indomita, that's the title that HarperCollins, or I don't know, did you decide to change? Because the meaning is different, right? Yes, we decided jointly between uh, the publisher, the translator, and myself. And we tried a number of different titles, and we really felt that Indomita really talks to her spirit. Yeah, because if you take the literal translation of a woman of endurance, mm -hmm. that wouldn't be indomita, which has a different connotation, but in Spanish it works very well. Right. Uh, we wanted the translator whose name is Aurora Lausardo. I was very glad that HarperCollins selected her because I did not want this book to be translated into Castilian Spanish or some other Spanish. I wanted it to be in the voice of Puerto Rico. And we did not want to do a literal translation as much as an authentic use of the language of the vernacular of Puerto Rico. Yes. And so I did not feel that we needed to translate literally. And I'm glad that we didn't because I think the word indomita tells you more about the character. Yes. I mean, it, it has a different connotation, this word indomita. Mm -hmm. Of course, Spanish speakers who are listening to us, they will know what we mean. Right. And if you use the word in English, indomitable, it has the same sense of someone who cannot be put down, someone who cannot be restrained. And that's very much part of her personality. Absolutely. I think it reflects very much this character, Paula. And you mentioned already that Toni Morrison was a big influence. Absolutely. Why was Toni Morrison somebody who made such an impact in your life? She was really the first writer that embraced her culture completely and included it in her novels and allowed, opened the door to see aspects of the culture that we had not seen before. And she made no apology about it. Yes. 
And I love telling the story not told, telling the authentic story. So for instance, I wanted to use Yoruba uh, symbology, the Yoruba religion, which was so important to the survival of the enslaved people. And that is something that a lot of people don't want to talk about. They don't want to talk about Espiritismo or Santeria or any of that. And yet I think that's the very thing that gave enslaved people all over the Americas, all over the world, a strong foundation that could not be taken away. You can destroy the body, but you can't destroy the soul and you can't destroy faith. And so um, that's only one example of telling the story not told, of breaking the silence. That's really good. And when you think about the faith that you are describing, in a way, even though Paula at some point loses her faith because, of course, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, she has suffered so much abuse by the society of the time. Mm -hmm. Her faith is the thing that saves her, right? Absolutely. When things get darkest, when she is the most lost, that is when she goes back to her faith. And she is not the only character in the book that has this situation. And in fact, in the first novel, Daughters of the Stone, the stone that's mentioned in the title contains that spirit of survival that's passed literally from one generation to the next. So I think in all my work, there is this sense of you might destroy the body, but you can't destroy the soul. That's a very good idea, Dalma. Now, you already mentioned, and we talked a little bit about Toni Morrison, but can you identify other people that have influenced your work the most? Oh, yes. I love Isabel Allende's work because I love her use of magic realism and blurring the lines between the objective reality and mysticism. So I love I love Isabel Allende. I just finished reading her latest book and I always learn from her. I love the work of Julia de Burgos. Mm -hmm. The poet her poetry is a bomb for me. Uh it takes me to another place and another time, which I love. And I've been mostly I have also read the work of Ferrer, la hija del ex-gobernador. Ella escribe del punto de vista de los amos. Sí. Mientras que yo escribo el punto de vista de los esclavizados. I slipped into Spanish. That's completely fine. <laughs> But let me tell you in English. I like the, the idea of mirror images. One example is Esmeralda Santiago's novel Conquistadora, who takes the perspective of a female hacendada, female plantation owner. Yes. And we are told about that period from the white owner's point of view, whereas I write from the perspective of the enslaved peoples. And I think that that is a wonderful mirror image that can be really useful in analyzing our, our culture. Another example is Rosario Ferrer, whose novels, again, are told from the point of view of the slave owners and in juxtaposition to my novels of telling it from the enslaved people's point of view. So I, I learn from my colleagues and from classical as well as contemporary writers. And African-American writers have been a wonderful source of inspiration, as was P.D. Thomas, who was the first, you know, New York Puerto Rican writer that I ever read, the first Afro 
puertorriqueño that I remember reading in English who spoke about being the darkest member of the family and the racism within our own society, which is also something that people don't really want to talk about. Yes, that's another thing, right? Now, let me ask you very quick about the Bronx. You mentioned in the beginning of the interview that you have lived in the Bronx for most of your life and that that is home for you, right? What is it about the Bronx that makes it the best place for you to be in the entire world? Well, yes, the Bronx and Puerto Rico are both home for me. More so the Bronx, because of course I grew up here. And although I'm bilingual, I am English dominant. I understand the people of the Bronx, the different neighborhoods in the Bronx. People think of the Bronx and think of shootings and, and violence and all of that. I think of it as I was growing up of going to bautismos and going and having a large Puerto Rican community that supported each other and that maintained the traditions from the island. And so, somos los de aquí, los de allá. We're the, the ones in the diaspora. And yes, I my life is the Bronx. I went to school in New York State. My husband is an American, although my family thinks that he's, you know, bautizado puertorriqueño. But <laughs> so, and our daughters grew up here. So, the Bronx is an important, rich soil as rich as Puerto Rico in a very different way. So if I need palm trees, you know, I go to Isla Verde. But if I need La Marqueta, I come to New York. And so I, I, I think of myself as a hybrid. Yes, it changes who you are, right? Because, of course, as you were saying, a lot of people, they have a very stereotypical vision of the Bronx. Yes. But when you get close to it, it's a very rich culture. Absolutely. A whole world by itself. Absolutely. And from another perspective, people in Puerto Rico, many people have a very negative perspective of New Yorkans. So I, I like to show the beauty of each of those. I wanted to ask you about new generations. You were a teacher, you were a high school librarian, you have you have a whole life or several lives, let's say, right? Mm -hmm. What would you recommend to new Latinx writers, those that they are trying to find their way? I mean, this is your second novel, but it was published already by Amistad HarperCollins. So do you have any recommendations for people who are trying to find their path as they write their stories? I am so pleased to see so many young young Latinx writers writing their reality, which is wonderful. But I think that one thing, you know, when I was an English teacher, I would always tell people, well, you outline and you have a plan and then you sit down and you follow your outline. And I find that to work creatively, I cannot do that. I cannot use an outline. I start to write. I don't know exactly what I'm writing or what order it goes in. But I journal every day and I write something every day. And my first novel, I realized that at the end of two or three years, or maybe more for the first novel, I had a lot of pieces of one story. And so like a jigsaw puzzle, como un rompecabeza, sí. I took all those scenes and all those chapters and arranged them in an order that made sense. And I realized that my brain and my subconscious was working all along, even though I was not aware of it. So what I would recommend is start writing, write what you're interested in, write what moves you, write what seems true and real 
and that moves the people around you, that reflects your world. Don't worry about where it fits in. You will figure it out, but write it down as it comes to you because then it's alive, right? Writing something as it happens is different than sitting down and trying to remember something that happened two years ago, Yes. right? So what I say is write, write every day, write something. And sooner or later, you will begin to see the thread because it's all coming from you. So the thread is there. The question is, what is the tapestry? You'll figure out what the tapestry is near the end of your project. Right now, you're just noticing all the threads. At least that's how it works for me. Every author has a different perspective, has a different method, has a different process. My process is write it down and get out of the way. Your your subconscious knows what you need to do. Some people call it subconscious. If you're a psychologist or collective cultural memory, if you're a sociologist or angels, if you're Catholic or ancestors, if you have an African base, whatever it is, that creative force is in you already. You were born with it. All you have to do is figure out how to, what key you need to let it out and let it blossom. That's absolutely beautiful, Dalma. Thank you so much for that. A Woman of Endurance was published this year by Amistad Harper Collins. And of course, you can buy either the English version or the Spanish version called Indomita. Right. And let me just say that both books have audio versions and there is also a large print version for people who are visually impaired. And I have found one of my uh, readers bought the book in English and loved it so much. She bought it in, in English for her daughter and in Spanish for her mother so that they could have a conversation about the mother-daughter relationships in the book. Another person who is a New Yorican, who grew up in New York, she's bilingual, but she's English dominant. She bought the book in Spanish, in hard copy and in audio. And she's following along reading while she's listening to the audio. So I am so pleased that people are using the book in many different ways to reach many different people. And of course, it could be useful as a bridge, right? <laughs> as you were mentioning. Absolutely. I love that image of bridging. Thank you so much for that, Dalma. Quiero darte las gracias por estar con nosotros en Latino Book Review. Como no. Muy agradecida de la invitación. Y cuando usted quiera, está a las órdenes. Muchísimas gracias, Dalma. Remember to visit our website, latinobookreview.com, and sign up to become a patron. Our producers today were Rosy Lima and Gerald Padilla. I am Héctor Rendón. Until next time. And in the afternoon, as the sun came down, they turned into storytellers. Latino Book Review.